Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike? Uh, this is this is kind of uncharted territory. It's the off season, and it's only been like a week since we recorded. So, uh, anything you need to update me on in life? Well, if it sounds like I'm recording from a tunnel, it's because my actual mic is where I usually record downstairs. And I, we basically, long and short of it is, we don't have a connected garage to the apartment. It's separate from my apartment. Mm-hmm. So basically, right next door to where I usually record, uh, people live in an apartment, and they are moving out today. So hmm. it is total chaos downstairs and loud noises and just not not a good space to be recording. And <laughs> I don't necessarily want to move on my microphone, on my equipment because it's set up nicely. And anyway, mm-hmm. hopefully I sound okay, Joey. That's why I want to update you. I think you sound great, Mike. Um, if, Perfect. If, if you hear stuff in the background, um, right when I told you that you know this is the time that we were going to record, I also made sure to tell my lawn crew that. And so they took that as oh, an invitation to come record with us. So they're they're here Beautiful. joining us in spirit as well. Cool. And if they have any ACC takes, come <laughs> let us know. That's right. That's right. Uh, Mike, we have a couple of different topics we're going to hit on. You know, a couple of little like newsy items that we wanted to hit on a little bit, and then uh, maybe talk a little bit about the transfer portal uh, in the ACC. And that'll be kind of the focus of today's show. Probably not. Probably not as long of a show, but usually when we say that, we go just as long as normal. So. Um, Let's dig into this. The, the, the thing I wanted to lead off with, you know, we, we talked a lot so far on the podcast about all the coaching changes we've seen in the ACC, and f- four in particular have happened in the Coastal Division. And I think the one that sticks out is, that might be the most impactful in particular was Mario Cristobal taking over at Miami. Um, that was, you know, a whole saga of trying to decide if we wanted to replace Manny Diaz. Do we not? He's out recruiting. We don't care. Like, all that stuff. And um, finally, they pulled the trigger. They hired Mario Cristobal, and that was uh, what? I mean, that was like a month ago, six weeks ago. How long has it been? Almost, almost two months. Yeah, uh, we're coming up on two months since they hired Mario Cristobal. We are coming up on almost two months that they have not yet hired an offensive or defensive coordinator. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of weird. Not really sure what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, so far they've hired Brian McClendon uh, as a co-OC, but not the OC, right? Yeah. So you mentioned this before we started to hit record. You know, a lot of times, you know, a, a staff member will be named as a co-OC or, uh, you know, an assistant head coach or, you know, he'll be given a specific title to your point to manipulate the scale a little bit of staff salaries. Mm-hmm. So Brian McClendon being named co-OC – is probably to justify him being paid a little bit more than some of the other assistants on mm-hmm. staff. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of schools do that now. You know, Virginia Tech just did that uh, with, with a bunch of their staff members, had them, you know, as, as co-OC, co-DC, whatever. Uh, 
so we don't really know who Miami's offensive coordinator is going to be. Like, is McClendon going to be the one calling plays? It kind of remains to be seen. They don't have a defensive coordinator either, for what it's worth. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know really who the candidates even are at this point because you're at this kind of weird, you know, part of the calendar where, okay, if you want to go get an NFL guy who is not on a playoff run, you probably are landing him already unless he's, you know, a member of one of the, you know, four staffs remaining mm-hmm. uh, in the NFL. If you're going after a college guy, what's the holdup exactly, right? I mean, right. the season's over. It's been over for a few weeks now. So what exactly are you waiting on? Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because I, you know, I really liked the Cristobal hire. You know, we talked about, you know, that how it went down and it didn't look great for Miami for – a news cycle or whatever, but yeah. ultimately you get your guy and that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted, you know, a guy who knew Miami well, was a proven head coach at the FPS level. And Cristobal checks off a lot of boxes that haven't been checked off at Miami in a while. Um, even in terms of like Mark Rick being there a few years ago, the Cristobal hire feels a little bit different because by the time Mark Rick was hired at Miami, Joey, he was not necessarily a top 10 coach in the sport. So, no. you know, and this one feels a little bit different, even from that Mark Rick hire, which was definitely a splash at the time. So mm-hmm. I'd like to hire, but I would like even more if I knew what the staff was. And, you know, we're sitting here kind of waiting, and it's been almost almost two months, and we still don't really know who the OC and the DC is. Right. Yeah, kind of an odd situation. And the, and the, the other interesting little tidbit here is that just in the last 24 hours, we're starting to see a couple of stories and rumors that Brian McClendon – the co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach is potentially being targeted by his alma mater, Georgia, to come be their wide receivers coach. Um, so I, you know, I we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's interesting. And and by the way, I, I love the idea of having a co-offensive coordinator without an actual OC or a second co-offensive coordinator. Like Mike, how, how would you feel if you got on a plane and he said, you know, hi, I'm such and such and I'm your co-pilot. And then there was no other introduction. Like, isn't, isn't there supposed to be another one of these? Or like, you know, if, if you're co-pilots, you're supposed to have two, right? Like, so. Yeah. And and from a time frame standpoint, for those of you who uh, didn't know the McClendon news or your place in your head when the McClendon news, you know, broke or when he was hired, it's been since January 4th, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like, okay, McClendon was hired like last week and the next guy is coming this week. It's It's been since the 4th of January that McClendon was you know, finalizing a deal to become the co-OC. Been so, over, yeah, over three weeks now. Yeah, that's 22 days ago. So yeah. something's going on here. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. And it's a little bit confusing. Maybe they're going after somebody in the NFL that's still playing. I don't really know, but it's odd. I mean, I, I thought he'd have his staff in place by now. And, mm-hmm. you know, folks are folks were complaining in Virginia Tech land about, you know, Brent Fry slowly putting together his staff, but a big reason why he slowly put together his staff over a span of three or four weeks is because a lot of the guys he was trying to hire were tied into the NFL, right? Yeah. Or were tied to another college program that, that was still playing. So that had a lot to do with that. And then once, you know, some of those main hires, uh, namely Tyler Bowman, the office coordinator who's on the Jaguar staff, once he was hired, it was kind of all systems go and you had like three or four hires at one time. Mm-hmm. This is odd because I don't really know what the holdup is. There haven't been any really like rumored names in Miami from the NFL, right? Because that's the only thing I can think of at this point. It's like, all right, they're right. going after an NFL guy. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the names that we've seen associated with this position so far were Jason Candle, who's the head coach at Toledo, uh, as well thanks as Ken- no thanks. Kendall Bryles, currently at Arkansas, formerly at, uh, at Florida State. And I believe, um, I think it was with Lane Kiffin at FIU, but he's he's been an offensive coordinator at several spots in the last seven, eight years, basically since leaving Baylor, where he was his father's offensive coordinator um, right. at, at that position. But um, the name that I'm seeing right now is a potential is Frank Ponce. Uh, he was formerly wide receivers coach for Mario Cristobal at FIU in the uh, late 2000s, early aughts, or, or I don't know how aughts works, late 2000s, early 2010s, basically. Um, and then he spent several years with uh, our friend Scott Satterfield. Uh, he was the OC at Appalachian State with Satterfield and then left to be the quarterbacks coach at Louisville with him for the, for a couple of years before returning to App State this past year. Um so that's interesting. I mean, he's a Miami native. I, I don't really know how I feel about that. I don't feel like, at least in you know, in the, the time at Louisville, that I've seen magnificent development at the quarterback position or on the offense in general. But then again, I mean, from what they were prior, I mean, that's it's been pretty good. So I don't know. I think the, the, the thing that's interesting here, and again, with the timing and the multiple strikeouts here that seems like Cristobal has had with these candidates, the speculation that I've heard is uh, related to if you go back and watch his team, I think it was just this year, maybe last year as well, that he had uh, Joe Moorhead as his offensive coordinator at Oregon. And the speculation is that if you if you watch that Oregon offense under Joe Moorhead and you compare to Moorhead's offenses at Mississippi State and Penn State, it looked different at Oregon. And I think the idea is potentially not that uh, Moorhead's offense was different at Oregon because he had different personnel and just wanted to run something different. I think the speculation is that he had to run something different because Cristobal dictated that. And that might be kind of what is potentially scaring off a couple of these candidates is like, well, I'm not going to come in here and if, and coach for this man, if I can't run what I want to run. So it's, it's one of those things I think you see sometimes from head coaches that are a little overly imposing and I think, you know, in particular, you get this this stigma with uh, guys who are offensive line coaches as well as, you know, former defensive coordinators that there's just a certain style of football that they typically, stereotypically uh, want to, to run and want to play. And that's not always conducive to the most cutting edge uh, offensive coordinators in this this day and age of college football. So total speculation. I don't know if that's the case or not, but if so, I, I don't really know where this goes. I mean, something's going on. Jason Cale said, no, I'm not leaving Toledo. I'll stay here, which is interesting because Toledo's been pretty up and down the last couple of years. But he was like, no, I'll just stay here and keep being the head coach. Mm-hmm. Kendall Bryle says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm staying over here at Arkansas. So, I mean, is there something to it? Because those are two guys that you think you'd be able to potentially get down there to Miami to coach with a guy like Mario Cristobal, and he's been unable to reel them in. So mm-hmm. what's the holdup? And it's going to be real interesting if Brian McClendon leaves and goes back to Georgia, like you mentioned, because then you're literally back to square one. Like right now you're at square like one and a half. Yeah. You're back to square one if McClendon leaves too after being on staff for about a month. I mean, there is a lot of this coaching staff that's still not filled out unless Wikipedia is lying to me. Um, I mean, you've got Alex Mirabal as your offensive line coach. He's really well regarded. Him combined with Cristobal, I mean, I, I would tend to think the offensive front is going to be really good for Miami. Uh, he's got Joe Sal- Salvea for his defensive line coach and Kevin Smith as his running backs coach. That's it. 
other than McClendon. You know, they're, both coordinators, like we've said, you know, a lot of the position coaches on both sides of the ball are missing. Um, and just it's, it's kind of a strange time in the calendar to still be without all these position coaches. I mean, especially as you figure we're, we're progressing towards here, we're only a, a week or so removed from the second signing day. I mean, how are you recruiting? And, and, and like, that seems like that's probably another hitch in the giddy up right now in the recruiting game is, well, who are your coaches? So. Who's going to be coaching me? I would think so. I mean, that was a common complaint complaint amongst the Virginia Tech fan base. I had a, now we all know when a new coach comes in, like weeks before early signing day, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. But Virginia Tech only had like three guys in place, including Brent Cry. Mm-hmm. So that was before early signing day. And now you have the national signing day, which I mean, Mario Cristobal, I think he's probably looking at it as, okay, this is kind of a wash. Like, National Signing Day is in a couple of weeks. I don't really have that much time anyway, but he's been on he's been on staff two months. Yeah. Like, yeah. you got to – I mean, there are schools out there recruiting. Like, we'll get into that in a few minutes, but, like, schools are out there recruiting right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they're recruiting too, but probably not as well as they would like without having a full staff in place. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the other thing is, you know, even if it lasts a little bit into January, you get it because I think one of the things that, you know, you come to find out is that right around the national championship game is when there is a big coaching convention every year. And I think it moves around. But basically what that works out to is a, just a giant networking event of guys trying to get jobs. Um, and so, OK, yeah, sure. Like you figure maybe Cristobal spend some time there interviewing candidates, you know, talking to people, talking shop on you know, how do they see recruiting? How do they see, uh, you know, scheme and development of players and those kinds of things. And you figure maybe in the week afterwards, you're, you're starting to announce some of these hires. And from here, I don't know what else there is like other than just calling people up on the phone and interrupting their recruiting or you're waiting into February and March and trying to have spring practice. Like you got to go, man. I don't know. This it's just very strange to me. It's odd. I mean, hopefully we hear some news soon. Um, I'm sure Miami fans are getting a little bit antsy at this point. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. So if we're missing something, please let us know. But my understanding right now is that it's a bit of an odd situation and a, a, a unusually uh, unexpectedly empty coaching staff for this time of year. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated as we learn more and we make that higher, you know, uh, but you know, we'll find out. Uh Mike, speaking of recruiting and the recruiting trail, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but my uh, my understanding was that one of the tasks that Brent Pry had when he came in to be Virginia Tech's head coach was to kind of rebuild some bridges and some relationships, uh, particularly in the state of Virginia, that uh, it seems like Justin Fuente did not do a good job of maintaining and or just outright hit with Molotov cocktails and just burned down. Um right. That's not a not a great place to start, you know, as, as a school like that is not having those connections in state. But it sounds like my understanding, you told me something that was pretty staggering. Uh, it sounds like uh, efforts are being made to rebuild those bridges and quickly. Yeah. So the dead period ended uh, right after the national championship game, right? The Friday after the national championship. So it's been almost three weeks mm-hmm. um, since the dead period was lifted on recruiting and you know, staff could go out and visit with coaches, high school coaches and high school players themselves and, and have direct contact with these players. Uh, since then, Virginia Tech, as of last night, we're recording here on Wednesday afternoon, Joey. So as of Tuesday evening, uh, this is courtesy of David Cunningham of, of Tech Sideline. I want to make sure I give him credit because he, you know, did the research on this. Virginia Tech and their staff, they have reached out and, and visited 
62 different schools in the state of Virginia alone as of Tuesday night, the 25th, since the dead period was lifted. Mm-hmm. So, look, you want to try to repair relationships in state. That's a really good start, right? By at least going and introducing yourselves as this new staff. Now, what comes next is the hard part, right? And it's if you're interested in some kids at that school, showing your face times, right? Not just, hey, we're here in Virginia now, we're going to recruit the state harder. You got to actually continue to do that. But I think it's smart to go out and, and you know, have the understanding that Brent Cry has from the get-go that this is a disaster in state with the relationships with Virginia Tech and they need to fix that. Now, they can fix it quickly because high school coaches aren't going to care about a Fuente staff anymore, right? They don't care. They're not there anymore. It doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? They really only care about what this staff has in place, what they have in mind. And is this a good school for, you know, my kids to go to moving forward as a, as a high school head coach? Like if I'm advising these kids that play underneath me, like, can I trust the head coach at Virginia Tech, the assistant coaches at Virginia Tech to get the best out of these kids that I'm looking after? Because you remember, Joey, like in a lot of these situations, these high school coaches are like father figures to some of these kids, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know – you talk about like recruiting and, you know, selling the family. Right. And a lot of times you think like the mom, the dad, right. The uncle, whoever, the grandfather, the grandmother, you think about selling the immediate family on the school, but you got to sell the coaches too, because there are some cases where the high school football coach or the high school basketball coach, whoever sport, like sometimes that's all that these kids got. Right. And they're mm-hmm. leaning on these guys, you know, with broken home situations, whatever. And you got to establish a relationship with them too. And that's something that the old staff did not do a very good job of. And yeah, Virginia Tech's hit the ground running. They actually went, I, I went to a small private high school in Northern Virginia. Uh, we historically, and, and I was the first graduating class in 2011, Joey, we historically do not have a lot of division one athletes. Yep. So Virginia Tech assistant coach, Sean Quinn was at my high school yesterday talking to the head coach. Mm-hmm. He made out a picture from really like the, the main area, like lobby of the high school. It's pretty cool. Like right up the street. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're reaching out to everybody is my point. And if there's ever a kid that, you know, the high school coach thinks Virginia Tech might have interest, interest in that's not on the radar, if you establish that relationship, you know, those coaches at these little known high schools are going to remember that when they have a kid every three or four years, it rolls through that maybe an FBS type player. Yep. So I think the initial swath of, recruiting in the state of Virginia since the dead period has been lifted looks really, really good in terms of effort, right? We don't know what it'll equate to, you know, ultimately you got to get these kids to sign on the dotted line, but in terms of effort in state, it's there right now in a way that it hasn't been in a few years for Virginia tech. And, you know, that, that's something that Fuente and his staff really struggled with, you know, when they were kind of going through turmoil there in the middle of his tenure. And it, it's clear that, you know, Virginia Tech staff is making it a priority to reach out to these schools in Virginia. And they, they've gone other places, too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Brent probably talked about recruiting to the footprint. And he had a press conference about a week and a half ago where he said, look, if, you know, there's a prospect west of Mississippi, there better be a damn good reason why we're going all the way out there to meet with them. Right. He better have yeah. a connection to the school. He better have family, a family member who's gone here. His high school coach has to be a Hokie, like something. There has to be a connection to the school. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Brent Price says, there's too much talent on the East Coast. We're not going to waste our time with that, right? There's too much talent in Virginia and the Carolinas and Florida and Georgia and Pennsylvania, an area he talked about recruiting hard because he had a lot of success here when he was at Penn State. So 
Virginia Tech is going to recruit Virginia really hard. That's clear. Um, they're making that a priority in the first few weeks since the dead period has been lifted. Really the first true opportunity for Brent Pry to go out and to recruit because, look, uh, around early signing day, he's focused on keeping the guys in the class that have already committed to Virginia Tech verbally. Like, that's his focus. He's not looking at 2023 really at that point in time for that, like, week or two. Yeah, This has been the first real opportunity to say, okay, who do we have on our board? Not who did Justin Fuente have on his board. Who do we have on our board now moving right. forward? So this is the first real opportunity to see the staff in action and positive returns, at least from the standpoint of making sure you're getting in front of these coaches in Virginia. I think it's really important. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It, it's, it's always interesting, you know, when you have these coaching changes and all of a sudden the stories start to come out of, Oh, you mean the last staff wasn't recruiting their tails off? And uh, you know, how many high school coaches are like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen anybody from that school in three years or you know, whatever you, you hear right. things like that. I mean, we heard it from Georgia tech when, when Paul Johnson left and there were a number of schools around that was like, Oh yeah, we haven't seen, heard from them in years. It's like some of those coaches, I, I think you can kind of tell some of them are more recruiting grinders than others. And I think you see it, you see it too with some of the head coaches is that traditionally it's like some of them are going to be, uh, you know, cracking the whip a little more than others and, and really pushing everybody to, to redline it in terms of hours and effort on recruiting. And, and you see that where guys then will burn out. And I mean, it's just, it can be much tougher, much more stressful uh, to be a college head coach where you're doing this recruiting thing, where there's really not a lot of rules around how much time you can spend doing it. And so it kind of depends on, you know, your, your head coach and the kind of program that they want to run is that sometimes you get these coaching cultures that are a little more dedicated and, pedal to the metal than others. So um, it, it's interesting to, to kind of watch this and, and see how recruiting results then change, you know, over time as new coaching staffs get installed and you can combine effort with results on the field and facilities upgrades and Lord knows what else, you know, can all be involved there. Well, I agree. And, and when you know, the media had an opportunity to talk to Brent Pry about a week and a half ago, one of the questions that was asked was, because this is the first time he, he spoke about the entire staff being hired, right? Because there was, mm -hmm. you know, hires here and there and the timelines were different. This is the first time he was able to talk to the media with everybody on staff now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were some questions about Chris Marvin's defensive coordinator. He's like 32 years old, right? He was a linebacker's coach at Florida State. And, you know, a question was asked to Brent Pry, like, why did you hire, you know, Marv, who's 32 and an up-and-comer versus a proven defensive coordinator. And Brent Price said, a couple reasons. Number one, I'm really going to have my hand in the defense early on. Like, I'm going to be heavily involved in the defense scheme, the play calling. So I can bring Marv along, right? And secondly, he knows my scheme. He's played in it, and he's coached under me before, right? He was a graduate assistant under Pry um, in the past. And then the other reason was, and this is probably the most important reason, because he kept bringing up with each and every staff member, he goes, he's a tireless recruiter, mm -hmm. which is something Justin Fuente did not have on his staff. Justin Fuente himself wasn't a recruiter. Um, some, some members of his staff, like Bud Foster, for example, towards the end of his career, he didn't want to go out and recruit anymore. He blame him. He had been coaching for 40 years. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with the grind, right? That's yeah. the big reason why I retired. Um, Brad Cornelson, not really that great of a recruiter. Not a great play caller either. Not a great <laughs> recruiter, right? So some high-ranking members of his staff weren't out there grinding on the recruiting trail there. It got better on the defensive side when he hired Justin Hamilton. Justin Hamilton's young and energetic, and he can relate to people well. He's very charismatic, and he's a Hokie. Mm -hmm. 
So that was good from a recruiting standpoint. The defense was a little bit up and down. So, and Fuente's offense, a head coach. So I, I think the, the hires that Pry made his reasoning, at least for why he was making these hires, make sense on paper. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I have no idea how this can turn out. I, I'd imagine from a recruiting standpoint, it will be better than whatever Justin Fuente was rolling out there for a few years. I don't know if the pride tenure will go well, but I can tell you that I would be shocked if he has a recruiting class that ranks like 72nd in, in the country or, you know, in the mid forties in the country, that would really surprise me, mm-hmm. you know, given Virginia tech's history when recruiting has been really good and given his staff's willingness to recruit, I don't feel like he's going to recruit worse than Fuente. That would be shocking to me given who he's hired and the effort they're putting in, at least at the outset. And we'll see if it continues. Yep. Yep. We will see. We will see. Uh, Mike, anything else before we move on to the uh, the big topic of the day? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Been a little bit quiet in the ACC. I know we got the uh, schedule announcement coming, I think, uh, early next week. So we'll probably jump on here and uh, talk about that at some point soon after we get the chance to uh, see who's playing who and when. And uh, we'll find find out more here shortly about that. Yep. Mike, before we get into the transfer portal, I want to remind the people real quick about Section103.com. Uh, it is the Internet's best place for buying Georgia Tech athletic wear uh, or just you know regular loungewear. Uh, they've got all sorts of things using the uh, official old gold, uh, tech gold, as it were. Uh, they've got the official word marks. They've got the ATL logo. They've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, something for men, women, children, the whole family. Uh, all of it at section103.com. Mike, I, when I'm having a really good day or I'm ready to have a really good day or if I'm having a bad day and I need to feel good about myself, I go put on my Section 103 shirts. Um, I absolutely adore my Bobby Dodd Stadium is my happy place shirt. I believe you have one of those. I wore it yesterday. It's comfy. It feels good. It looks good. I love it. I mean, highly comfortable, soft, very soft, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. form-fitting, mm-hmm. for better or worse. Yeah. I love it. It's incredible. I, wear it, I wear it a lot. Yeah, and they have both the, the regular kind of cotton shirts as well as more of the athletic wear shirts, and all of them incredibly high quality. Uh, they look great. Uh, again, the, the designs are, are relatively simple, but they look great, and that's that's all I ask for from my shirts, and I, I am always wearing them with pride, so really happy about those. Uh, it's it's kind of cold where a lot of people are right now, especially in Atlanta. If you need a hoodie, those are great as well. Those are unbelievably soft. Like, I can't explain to you, you know, the people I tell that to, and they're like, okay, well, I don't know. We'll see about that. And then they come back, and they're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you weren't getting it all. I was like, I'm telling you. So Chris, just incredibly high quality clothing there. It looks great. Go check them out. Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. We've had a, a number of people that have used that promo code and have, have told us, like, it, this is really high quality, great stuff. Um, so follow your heart. Do what the people are telling you to do. Go get some stuff from section103.com. Look great, feel great, play great. All that stuff. Uh, use promo oh, yeah. code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Thank you to uh, Section 103 and Steven for your partnership. Uh, we have enjoyed it and hope to continue enjoying it into the offseason here. Yeah, it's been a good partnership. Absolutely. Sure has. Mike, let's talk Transfer Portal. Um, and I, I don't know how much we've talked about this kind of at a, at a high level in general, but I know that you know we've, we've gotten a couple years into this where it's, it's become a more popular thing. Um, I think it was last summer in uh, 2020 that the NCAA approved some legislation basically granting athletes a free one-time transfer where you don't have to sit out. Um, right. 
I, what are your thoughts on how all of this is going? We've got some data at our hands. We've seen some <laughs> stories and things the way that things have turned out. Like, are there changes you would make? Are you happy with it? Do you wish we'd just get rid of it altogether? Like, how do you feel about this? Oh, I don't know. It's There's so many layers to it. Um, do I think that players should be able to get a free transfer once in immediate eligibility? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a very simple answer because there's a lot that goes into this now with NIL and everything else where, you know, we could be facing a scenario here in the next few years where, you know, maybe some of these larger college football markets, um, are able to acquire even more talent than they already do, um, just on the, on the back of NIL, um, which I, I get, and then again, like, am I, am I in favor of players, you know, getting paid for their use of name, image, and likeness? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there there needs to be some sort of control in place to ensure like equity in the sport to some degree. Um, I don't know, man. It's like the the, the rich get richer to some degree, mm-hmm. but now the players are benefiting, which is great. Like that's a good part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to make it seem like I'm, I don't want to make it seem like I'm like, you know, pro NCAA anti-player, you know, getting, getting their share. That's not it at all. Yeah. I'm just wondering from a, like I want a perfect world, which is going to be difficult, but I want the world where the players make, you know, as much money as they can off name, image, and likeness, but at the same time, the competitive integrity of the sport is still intact. I'm just not sure, I'm not sure what the answer is to get to that equilibrium, but it it ties into the portal because I think you're seeing a lot of guys looking for, you know, that that perfect situation, and it's not always just playing time related, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's part of it, but it's not the only part of it now. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that NIL complicates things in that regard from the transfer portal and how it's used. But I think also there's a lot of benefits to it, right? You know, if you're if you're a good quarterback and you know you get hurt and your replacement comes in and plays really well, and say you say you like broke your hand, like let's not say ACL or you know something like that. Let's say you like break your throwing hand, right? You know, yeah, easier to come back from long term, right? Yeah, easier to come back from long term. You're not worried about like, you know, what you, what you're going to look like as a quarterback. You know, once you heal, right? Um, so let's say you like broke your throwing hand on a helmet, right? you get fracture, you couldn't play, whatever, mm-hmm. and you lose your starting spot to another highly touted recruit who's a backup who comes and plays really well in your absence. The team's rolling, and they don't want to put you in your health, right? Yeah. Going into next year, maybe you want to transfer and look for a better situation, right? Yeah. Um, and you can play right away. You don't need to sit out anymore. Um, transfer. Like, that's great. And and guys can be able to take advantage of that, too. So it's not all just, like, this muddied-up conversation. Like, sometimes it is black and white where it's like, hey, look, like, I got hurt. Guy came in, played really well. I don't blame the team. Mm-hmm. I don't blame the coaching staff. They got to do what's best for them. Uh, but I got to do what's best for me, too. I'm going to move on. I'm going to be immediately eligible at school X. And I'm going to, you know, continue my career there and in hopes of, you know, going to the NFL or playing professionally in Canada or whatever. You know? Yeah. 
Um, so it's 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 a loaded question. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing, but I think it's kind of out of control right now too in terms yeah. of like pure transfer court. I else kind of too early to tell how it's going to impact the sport. I just kind of see that happening. It's it's very much not at equilibrium. We'll say um, th- right. there is there are a lot of winners and losers both on the coaching institutional you know team side as well as the individual player side um and that's the thing i think the the thing that really kills me is that the way that the numbers kind of work out and the way that the rules are currently uh configured basically like these these teams don't really get any sort of extra compensation when players leave uh via transfer and so just the way that the numbers work out basically there ends up being more players uh in the transfer portal than there are spots available and so what you have is guys who are transferring you know from uh take you know let's say somebody leaves uh wake forest somebody leaves wake forest and says you know what i'm gonna try and do the thing that kenneth walker did last year and maybe see if i can go play for michigan state or something kind of equivalent and then what you find out is you know the the quote-unquote market for your quote-unquote services is not nearly what you thought it was and, you know, you're you're now having to take a step down and go play for, you know, Miami of Ohio or, uh, you know, Utah State or some other, you know, G5 school. And that's even maybe a good scenario that doesn't even account for the guys who now have to go down and play FCS ball or guys who have to basically walk on at another school and pay their own way. They're not getting a scholarship like so I, I think the way that it num- the numbers work out is that, you know, by entering the transfer portal, you can kind of screw yourself, basically, like. Yeah. And and it causes yeah. issues. And, and so there are players that are getting screwed, but it's it, it, at the end of the day, at least they have their own agency. You know, they have the ability to make that choice for themselves. So I guess over time, you know, I think there will be some equilibrium that we reach where there's fewer guys entering the portal. Um, there, There's also the, the piece that, you know, I thought it was interesting. There was a comment made by Chip Long, who was just hired as uh, Georgia Tech's offensive coordinator. He made a comment in his first press conference that uh, one of the first things that he did after he got hired was he took a trip down to Jacksonville and visited with Jeff Sims and his family and really was trying to convince him to stay on at Georgia Tech and not transfer. And the comment that he made was, because if you're not recruiting your own roster, somebody else is. And that's where I think it's it's a little bit silly and it's going it's always going to exist. You know, there's always these back channel conversations like. You know, can Nick Saban reach out directly to Jameer Gibbs and say, hey, like, you know, you're at Georgia Tech. Why don't you transfer and come here to Alabama? No, that's that's tampering. That's not allowed. That's very illegal on multiple fronts and obvious. But could Nick Saban or one of his staffers reach out to like the head football coach at Dalton where Jameer Gibbs played high school ball and say, hey, you still talk to Jameer by chance? You know, we'd be interested in uh, him coming here to play if. If he were to ever decide to leave Georgia Tech, it's like, I didn't talk to him about that yet. Let me go talk to him. And next thing you know, Jameer Gibbs in the portal, he's going to Alabama. Like, you know, there's ways you can do this and you're never going to be able to fully legislate it out. Um, So there's just some of those, I think, kind of concerns present that I don't know there's a good way to get around. But um, that's that's really my big thing. And then the other thing is always, you know, the guys that it it kills me seeing guys who just way overestimate their own stock basically as from a football standpoint. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just seeing that with the draft too. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and you see guys that, yeah, it's like, and we, we've talked about this with, you know, Gerard Evans years ago, the quarterback from Virginia mm-hmm. tech or yep. some of these guys that it's, it kills me because, you know, if you don't have that self-awareness or that, 
self-recognition of kind of what your own stock is, you can kind of be giving up a lot of opportunities that you're having to advance your life and your career outside of football, or at least off the field. Um, you know, all these guys that transfer elsewhere. And, and I guess, you know, it's nice if you want to play and I, I get, you've always been one of the best players on your team growing up and all that stuff. And you just want to get on the field and actually, you know, catch a few passes or, uh, you know, make a few tackles or, or block somebody. Like I get that. But at the same time, man, like, when you watch Last Chance U, and there's guys that are struggling to get on the field at Mississippi, uh, what is it, East Mississippi Community College, and they're saying like, "I just got to figure out a way to get to the NFL." It's like, dude, <laughs> the Jaguars, Lions, and Jets don't want you if you can't get on the field at EMCC. You know, so right, right. There's there's stuff like that that you know just inherently kind of bothers me, and it, it's it feels like players occasionally will give up opportunities they have to improve their lives otherwise in in search of this mythical dream that they're almost certain to never achieve. So I just, I want to see people be successful and uh, I, I struggle to see people set themselves up for failure is, is, is all. So that's probably going to get a lot of people mad at me on Twitter. So I look forward to that. Um, eh, well, I had the same take, so I'm with it. <laughs> uh, let's talk about it as it relates to the ACC, Mike, and the transfer portal in this current cycle. Um, I think one of the main stories ACC wise that's kind of hit nationally uh, as it relates to this transfer portal in the last couple of years has been the way that Clemson has used it. And by used it, I mean, have not used it. Um, This is one of those things that I think people really kind of expected Dabo Swinney was going to have to do to adjust and adjust to the times and the rules is take a transfer or two, especially with the way that the team looked at times this year, there were clear holes and flaws and Mike, as we sit here on January the 26th, I am staring at 24-7 sports, their transfer portal rankings and all that. Clemson has lost five transfers. They have gained none. They still will not take transfers, Mike. Do you think this is the well, thing that, that is part part of what will sink Clemson back to earth a little bit? Yes, but they also took uh, one transfer, Joey. Who was that? That's Hunter Johnson. Oh, that's right. Why is that not on here? I mean, it, yeah, it, okay, yeah, kind of, kind of like taking a transfer. It's more <laughs> like you really send him to, used to play there. It's more like you send him off to boarding school and then you brought him back. So yeah, you yeah you, you take him to the uh, quarterback factory that is Northwestern you know, <laughs> to develop for a few years before you bring him back to Clemson. Yeah, come on back. <sighs> Pat Fitzgerald, quarterback whisperer. Joey. Oh yeah. Well, well known as a quarterback whisperer, of course. Yeah, I think the only uh, the only quarterback that I think uh, has reached the NFL this is probably totally incorrect. I'm gonna throw it out there anyway because it's the only one that matters. Is like Mike Kafka. Like, is he the only Pat Fitzgerald quarterback that's made it to the NFL? Trevor Simeon's still with the Broncos. Ah, yes, Trevor Simeon is still with it. Well, is he? I thought so. I thought he like started a game late this year. No, you know where he was? He was with the Saints, uh, the Saints there for a bit. Now, uh, I don't know if he's still technically there. I think he was relegated to practice squad later in the year. Um, this this is, this but, is by the way, this is a perfect example of like my illness. My personal illness is like, why do I remember things about Trevor Simeon, but I don't remember things about like my wife's family? Like, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, but, yeah, like I can name... Like I could go in order from like Red Sox managers from like 2003 to now, uh, but I can't remember like something my wife told me this morning that probably needs to be done before she gets home. Yeah. So. 
that's I'm full of useless knowledge. That's right. That's right. Anyways, I mean, is it so back to the question? I mean, is this do you feel like this is one of the things that eventually kind of sinks Clemson back down to earth? Uh, I mean, yeah, to some extent, because Clemson is one of the, you know, five or six schools in college football that historically recruits at like a top 10 level like consistently every year, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, that's great. And that's how you build depth. And that's why their teams are so competitive from a national championship standpoint and a college football playoff standpoint year over year. But the thing now is that you can have a bunch of that depth that you've built up over the years leave Mm -hmm. right away. And when that depth leaves, you got to replace them. Well, and you look at the names who have left Clemson this off season. Tell me if you've heard any of these names before. A Joe, a Joe, Frank Ladson, Lynn J. Dixon. Yep. Yep. All three, all three members of the offense in varying capacities. Mm -hmm. Ladson played a bunch. A Joe, a Joe played a little bit. Lynn J. Dixon played a a good bit prior to this year when he transferred in September. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think they've got to adjust. I I, I don't think that what they're doing, I don't think what they're doing is sustainable and and is going to keep them at the top of college football the way they have been for the last several years. With the transfer portal now, you can't not recruit guys out of it. Mm-hmm. Like recruiting now is, you brought up the Chip Long comment a couple minutes ago. Like that is the perfect example, right? Like you not only need to be recruiting the high school kids, you need to be recruiting the kids on your own team to tell them why they're important to the future of your program and convince them that that's the right place for them to continue to develop as college football players and student athletes. But then you have to convince guys who are in the portal looking for a change that why your school is right for them. Mm-hmm. And that has to be concurrent. You know, high school recruiting needs to be your, your baseline, your backbone, your bread and butter. But you need to be able to supplement your roster too with transfers because they're going to be guys that inevitably year over year leave. Yep. Right. That's why Virginia Tech was getting criticized early on because Virginia Tech was one of the first schools that had a rash of transfers in that first year. Mm-hmm. Little did the folks in the media know that this was going to be the case at every single school across college football. Guys were going to leave year over year in droves. Mm-hmm. And it's at varying levels, of course, across the sport. But all of a sudden, six or seven guys hitting the transfer portal one off season isn't really that weird anymore. It's going to become more normal Yep, um, across college football. So it's a changing landscape. Dabo needs to adjust. What's made Nick Saban great is Nick Saban's adjusted. Nick Saban didn't always spread his offenses out, right? Statically and throw the ball, you know, 45 times a game. He wanted to run you to death, right? Right. And Bama still does a lot of that stuff. You know, they run the ball and play great defense. Bama still does that, but they also have a modern-day spread offense because Nick Saban said, you know what, I'm going to have to adapt and adjust. Yep. I feel like that's what Dabo's going to have to do if he wants to continue to be towards the top of college football. He's going to have to adapt his coaching style, adapt his recruiting style, and he's going to have to run his program a little bit differently because you can't be stagnant while college football is changing across the landscape. You can't do that. I think that's a way to be extinct. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I, I tend to agree. Like it's, I, I just there there is multiple aspects of the uh, the Clemson success run that we've seen the last couple of years that um, I, I question how sustainable they are, and I kind of feel like all of it's going to start coming home to roost here pretty quickly. Um, interested to keep talking Clemson in the off season because I I've mentioned it before. I've got some takes, Mike, but we don't have to uh, go over those right now. Nobody's picking Louisville to win the Atlantic next year. <laughs> no, I am not. 
I'm picking Louisville to maybe fire their coach first. We'll see. <laughs> we we got to do a uh, – that's another thing we got to do. Maybe uh, maybe before we do season previews in the summer, I think we need to uh, – we got to do our head coach firing rankings. Because coach, we did that last offseason. That was a hit. Coach firing so, draft, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to do our coach firing draft again. It, it wasn't really a draft last year. We just kind of ranked them, but maybe mm-hmm. we should draft them. That would be fun. That could be we fun. We flip a coin, we draft them, and <laughs> – yeah, I, I would love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, some of the winners and losers in the transfer portal, Mike, in the ACC, I think one of the big winners here would be Florida State. Um, they brought in six different transfers from other Power 5 institutions. Um, well, sorry, four from Power 5 institutions, uh, plus two more of the top 100 players in the transfer portal, according to 24-7 Sports. Um, so I think that's a, a pretty big win for them. One of the big losers here, I think, has to be Virginia. Um, my goodness, they've lost nine players to the transfer portal, and a lot of those, you have uh, Victor Oluwatomi. I, I totally butchered that, headed to Michigan. You've got Noah Taylor headed to North Carolina. Bobby Haskins headed to USC. West Weeks heading to LSU. Joshua Hayes heading to Kansas State. Like Jacob Rodriguez, quarterback, heading to Texas Tech. Nusi Milani heading to Washington State. It's one thing, Mike, to lose transfers, it's another thing to lose a bunch of transfers to Power 5 teams. That tells you that those are actually pretty serviceable players, I think. And that that is not a good thing to lose off your roster, especially as you go through a coaching transition like this. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. Now, some of it is also inevitable, right? Like, you have a new coaching staff. You're going to lose players because, you know, they're recruited by that coach. They don't want to play for another coach at that school. You know, maybe they want to go elsewhere where they've established a relationship on the recruiting trail, what have you. So, you know, some of it's inevitable. But there's no getting around the fact that, you know, when you lose players like that, some of them were contributors, some of them weren't. Like, you're at the very least, you're losing depth, right? And mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, a lot of schools in the ATC with new coaching hires are going to struggle with here um, in the next couple of years. It's it's going to be a, a walk before you run sort of thing just mm-hmm. because of the state that the roster's in. Um, in some cases, the state that recruiting's been. Mm-hmm. So, I think Virginia falls into both of those categories, even though they put together a pretty good roster. They are definitely losing some depth and some contributors. Yep, yep. I think one of the other losers would be Wake Forest. And they've only lost two transfers. But I think I, I would call them losers because both of them are running backs. Uh, Christian Beal Smith and Amani Marshall. That will uh, that'll zap your, your depth at a position group pretty quickly when you have multiple guys transfer out like that, um, especially when you're maybe not as prepared for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, Wake Forest is losing running backs who are going and popping off at other schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Kenneth, Kenneth Walker was one of the best running backs in college football this year. Um, you know, you lose him, you lose Christian Beal Smith. I mean, you had a backfield of both those guys there in, in 2020. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now they both moved on. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, Wake Forest has a pretty prolific offense, you know, and it's been a revolving door at running back, but they've, Kind of still figured it out with Sam Harmon. Yeah. Uh, I would say one of the winners, probably Pittsburgh, bringing in one of the best quarterbacks yeah. that were in the transfer portal and uh, Keaton Slovis from USC. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, losing Shockey Jock Louis is kind of a big deal, too. <laughs> yeah, that's not um, great. Not not great. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think bringing Keaton Slovis is, is pretty significant because Pitt always finds a way to, you know, acquire enough skill position talent, right? Especially a receiver. Like they've done a pretty good job of that. It's been quarterback play. And 
it's been Nathan Peterman, and now you move on to Kenny Pickett, five years of Kenny Pickett, and now he's gone, and what's what do you do now? Well, I mean, Keaton Slovis was outstanding college quarterback or high school quarterback. He's had fine success at USC. Now he comes in, and I, I think that this is the type of quarterback move that makes Pittsburgh the favorite in the Coastal next year because mm-hmm. they do have a decent amount of talent returning. They have Keaton Slovis as long as he doesn't max brown it. <laughs> which I think that Keaton Slovis had a little bit more success at USC than Max Brown did, right? So I think it will mm-hmm. probably work out a little bit better for Pittsburgh. But as long as he doesn't max Brown it, I think Pittsburgh will be in okay shape from the quarterback position. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. That's a that's a big move there to kind of bridge that gap coming off of Kenny Pickett and all the stability that he brought at that position there for Pittsburgh for all those years. Um, I feel like North Carolina, one of the losers – uh, Bo Corrales, Coffrey Brown, uh, and another wide receiver. I mean, losing that group that was already kind of deficient, not a great sign. Um, losing a couple other uh, kind of skill guys as well, and Eugene Asante as a linebacker, and Josh Henderson, the running back. Um, you can question how good those guys were, but you're basically playing roulette with, are those guys actually not as good as the guys you're bringing in from high school? And they've been recruiting well, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, uh I mean, I find it interesting, too, that, you know, North Carolina, while they've lost some guys, they've also brought in some guys from ACC schools. Mm-hmm. So, Corey Gaynor, you know, coming as an offensive lineman from Miami. Noah Taylor from UVA. We talked about him leaving mm-hmm. uh, UVA a second ago. Um, also, like, losing Stephen Gosnell, who was a reserve wide receiver, pretty good high school player. Um, he's going to Virginia Tech mm-hmm. to play with his brother Benji, who was – who's got to be a true freshman. Um, he's already on campus. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're, you're seeing a lot of players, not just in North Carolina, but at other schools who are not only looking for greener pastures, but looking for greener pastures, like within the same conference, sometimes within the same division. Um, I know it's been a hot button topic in the sec um, in terms of a Georgia to Alabama receiver leaving. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're seeing guys who are taking full advantage of the transfer portal with uh, one-time eligibility, even if it means transferring within the same conference. Yeah, uh, I would say Miami looks like the airport of the transfer portal, and what I mean by that is you got you got a lot of people going out and a lot of people coming in. <laughs> um, Miami losing six different players and bringing in three more to replace them. Um, the the biggest loss uh, the biggest loss being uh, Nesta Jade Silvera uh, he's headed to Arizona State the defensive lineman uh, you've got other guys Quentin Williams D Wiggins Mark Pope are also some names you might know and as you mentioned a minute ago Corey Gaynor offensive lineman headed to North Carolina they bring in Henry Parrish running back from Ole Miss Frank Ladson wide receiver from Clemson and Jake Lichtenstein the defensive lineman from USC like so a lot going on there I'm not sure they're necessarily winners or losers they're just very, very involved. Yeah, I mean, they have enough guys to field the team and not enough coaching staff to coach them. So. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with Louisville. Uh, Louisville losing five, gaining four. Uh, so, again, not really winners or losers, just sort of involved. Um, you know, losing Hassan Hall and Justin Marshall on the offense, gaining Tyon Evans on the offense, and Mohamed Sanogo on the defense. Um, just a lot of movement, a lot of movement. Um, and then the last one that I'll I'll bring up would be my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I think generally winners in terms of you know 
bringing in a number a good number of guys. Uh, Mari Harvey out of Auburn, Paul Chio out of uh, Clemson. He's an offensive lineman. Kari Gee out of uh, Notre Dame. Pierce Quick, offensive lineman out of Alabama. So they're trying to address some of those issues on the offensive line. Can't really call him a full winner, though, because one of the absolute best players in the transfer portal left from Georgia Tech and is Jameer Gibbs headed to Alabama. Um, I have side note, I have a couple of buddies down here in Houston who are big, big Alabama guys. And uh, they asked asked me the other day, like, you know, is he uh, is he the real deal? And I was like, yes, he is. Like that man is electric. Um, he was probably he, he probably would have been a, a bona fide five star prospect if he was a little bigger. He's a little bit undersized. And that's that's about the only thing you could say that is uh, of question for him with, as a running back. But he's he's electric in the open field. But anyways, um, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I did want to bring this up real quick. And I realize this isn't a Georgia Tech-specific podcast, and we'll probably get into it later this offseason when we do the uh, Tell Us About Your Team series. Hint, hint. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Yep. Um, Mike, one of the things we, we've talked about over the years with Georgia Tech in particular is is kind of the, the academically narrow nature of the school. Um, yes. They have, uh, at last count, I, I think I remember something like 34 undergraduate majors, um, which is a really low number. And then it's it's even more narrow when you consider that like well over half of those are STEM programs. So science, technology, engineering, mathematics, like heavy science, math programs. You know, you have very little, very, very little in the way of like, you know, liberal arts or uh, or anything else. And so that really kind of limits your your pool of players a little bit in terms of, you know, who wants to come to your school because, you know, if you want to be a criminal justice major, Georgia Tech doesn't have that. If you want to be, right. uh, you know, a teaching major, Georgia Tech doesn't have that. So uh, that that kind of plays in, I think, with, with the recruiting. But the more I thought about it, the more it also plays in with this era of the transfer portal. Because Georgia Tech, as part of that academically narrow, you know, approach – also can be pretty stingy about what credits they will accept from other other schools when somebody's trying to transfer in, um, especially as it relates to how those credits apply to one of those few degrees that the school offers. And so part of what that means is that if you've spent too long at another school as an athlete, you, you probably can't get into Georgia Tech unless you're a grad transfer because so many of your credits won't apply to your degree at Georgia Tech. And at that point, you're immediately academically ineligible. You're probably tanking the team's APR ranking. So it really puts Georgia Tech in a spot where they can only really recruit transfers who are like coming off their freshman year somewhere else or they're grad transfers and they've already graduated elsewhere and they're coming for a grad degree. So it's just something that I, it kind of came to mind and, and kind of hit me the other day. Uh, something that I just, I, I felt like I wanted to bring up and point out that uh, it doesn't do Georgia Tech any services, you know, in this era of the transfer portal. And, and it's one of those things, I think, to kind of keep an eye on. If you see some some sort of news or some sort of update of a change along those lines of transfer admission standards or something like that, that would probably be athletically motivated, frankly, uh, coming from Georgia Tech, because, I, I mean, I, it, it's, it's a huge issue in terms of who they're able to bring in. You will very, very rarely see them bring in guys who are like rising juniors and seniors because they just can't keep them eligible in the classroom yeah yeah and that makes it difficult i mean we've we've talked about it strictly from the standpoint of okay there's only a handful of um there's only a handful like majors right or um specialties at georgia tech but when you take the full picture into the consideration it, it does make it a lot harder to to get these kids into school not only from the high school ranks but as transfers too so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to consider, especially while Georgia Tech tries to upgrade their roster as much as they can under Jeff Collins. You know, maybe they can only do so much. I think that's something to consider. Yep. Yep. One of the uh, one of the things you run up against. So I, I won't uh, harp on that too much longer. Again, it's a it's not a Georgia Tech show here. It's a uh, it's a full ACC show, but just something that kind of makes Georgia Tech unique. And and Mike, those are the kinds of things that we're looking to to understand and find out more about uh, as we go into this. Tell us about your team series. So. We've had a number of people reach out. We really appreciate it. We have seen those, even if we haven't replied. Um, please keep them coming. Uh, we, we want to see and, and, and uh, talk to somebody about what makes these schools tick. Like, how do they work? You know, what are the politics surrounding them? So um, if you are interested in telling us about your team, it might be your alma mater. Maybe you just kind of grew up close to the program and have watched it for a while and understand it. We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out. Uh, Mike, you can hit us up in the DMs, either... Uh, at Mike McDaniel SI, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. At Mike McDaniel SI, uh, at FTRS Choey, or at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter. The DMs are open. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, your comments, concerns, or your offer to help and, and come on and join us for a little while at some point this offseason with the Tell Us About Your Team series. You can send that to your, our email address, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, Mike, anything else? or are we good to uh, work on getting out of here? I think we're, I think we're all set. I mean, we basically recorded one week after the last podcast in the off season. So I feel like I deserve like a, on the back there. a merit badge for that. Like that's, that's I'd an accomplishment. Agree. It is. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike, let's get out of here. Let's come back maybe sometime in the next week or so. We can talk about uh, the ACC schedule that's released and any other news that drops. I, I mean, maybe, maybe on the off chance, Miami has a new office coordinator. We can talk about that too. Yeah, Maybe. Maybe they'll have one. Probably not. Something here. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. All right, Mike. Uh, this has been fun. We will talk again soon, and uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and until next time, go ACC. Nobody's